0: Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. We're making our way through a study in Galatians 3 called Sons of Abraham. Today's lesson is called, What Do I Need to Be Saved From? The answer, well, we need to be saved from God, the perfectly righteous, holy God. It's not what we want to hear, but without Christ's forgiveness, we are lawbreakers and enemies of God. And John takes us through this gospel-filled message of hope. Here he is now with part one of, What Do I Need to Be Saved From? Paul
1: in Galatians chapter 3 is answering this question. How do you live a blessed life? How do you go through life as a blessed person? All of us want to be blessed people, right? None of us want to be cursed people. None of us want to go through life trying to satisfy the hunger of our heart with ocean water and sand on the beach so how do you get it that's what paul talks about in galatians 3 10 to 14 and last week what we saw was that unlike many people in our culture who think that the purpose of religion is to give you a list of rules kind of like the golden rule in which everybody in our own culture quotes is to give you a list of rules or principles that lead to a blessed life. And basically, Paul says, if you want to follow that type of path, go ahead and knock yourself out. Because that's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to knock yourself out. Because Paul says that a law-driven law driven principle-driven life only issues in a sentence of condemnation and cursing. It enslaves rather than frees. And so, since a set of laws do not lead to a blessed life, what does? The Judaizers in the Galatian churches, they came along and they said, well, Paul just got it partially right. He has an incomplete Gospel. Paul told you to trust in Christ alone, but it's not enough. We're here to complete it. Because he left out a key part. And so what you need to do if you really want to be a son of Abraham, if you really want to be a person who lives a blessed life, there are certain rules you need to keep. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. And you need to keep it all. And they said, if you do that, your life will be blessed. Here's what Paul does. He takes up their very argument itself. He turns it against them. And this is what he does. He denounces man's doing right in order to put God in debt to him. We see this all the time in our life i see it all the time i'll give you a perfect illustration was talking with someone this week said how's your church going i said it's going well i mean our staff are really starting to sense that god is really beginning to awaken people to the gospel We, we sense that there there's a hunger coming and that god is beginning to work and move in our little church plant and we're excited about that and this is his response well, yeah, because you've paid your dues. You didn't have a voice for seven years. And yet you were faithful. And you started with six people on your couch. And you've been faithful. So God is now beginning because you were faithful to bless you. I just looked at that person and I said this. Because I knew they had no idea what they were saying. But this is where people live. I said, you know what? It's all grace. It's all grace. I don't merit anything in my life. My obedience, my suffering, trials we go through, do not earn you one thing. Nothing you do... Makes God a debtor to you so that if you follow certain rules and principles, God comes down. Do you understand what I pray for when I'm down here singing music for you guys? And the whole time I'm praying. And I'm saying this God, lift us up. Lift us up by grace to you. Because my singing, there's nothing I can do in my singing to bring you down to get you to do something. We have it all backwards in our life. Our works and our obedience is simply a response of gratitude to this overwhelming, joyful announcement of good news. That's all it is. And so the Heidelberg Catechism says this, does God not reward us by our works? The Bible teaches that. And this is what it says. Yes, not, but not based on merit, but grace. And so Paul says, Galatians, if you listen to these false teachers, you are working in such a way to try to make God your debtor. I obey. I do, therefore God loves me and blesses me. And Paul says, you think like that and you will have a cursed life. And so what he does in verses 10-14 to is he sets forth four arguments based on the Old Testament Scriptures from Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Habakkuk. And he proves from the law and the prophets itself that it is completely impossible to be justified by works of the law, by your performance or what you do to get God's favor and acceptance, to get God to work and move in your life. There's nothing you can do to earn that or to keep it. And so here's the first point just by review last week. The Old Testament Scriptures, this is verse 10, teaches that the law issues a sentence of cursing rather than blessing. He grounded his first argument from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, which sums up the major proposition of the entire law, which is this. He says, For it is written, he's appealing to Scripture, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, as a former Pharisee, an expert in the law, Paul understood what the law taught. He understood the blessing cursing pattern of the Mosaic covenant. And he takes that blessing cursing pattern, he applies it to the Galatian situation. So, what you have in verses 10 and 12 is cursing from Mount Ebal. The six tribes of Israel that were commanded by God to say amen to the curses. Verses 10 to 12 is the cursing for Mount Ebal. Verses 13 to 14 is the blessing for Mount Gerizim. And as you'll see in a couple weeks, the fulfillment of those blessings are all wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the principal subject of the scripture. And so Paul says this. The law requires you to keep everything it commands and forbids, down to the most minutest, that's terrible English, detail. Paul says if you do not keep the minutest detail of everything God has commanded and forbidden, that very lack of perfection is sin, and it lays you open to the curse of the law, and it cuts you off from life. You drink salt water, and you put sand in your mouth, is what he's saying. That is no way to live. And so, God, Paul says, as a just judge, cannot pronounce anybody just, nobody justified. Nobody who has His favor and acceptance. God cannot give you a right to life except on the basis of an absolute perfect righteousness. Because He's a just judge. And someone may protest and ask, well, why can't our good works be our righteousness before God? Or maybe just part of it. It's like ivory soap. It's 99.99% pure. So why can't I just give the point oh oh one percent Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism again, which is just quoting from Paul. The answer is because the righteousness which is able to stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. But our best works in this life, and they're speaking to believers here. Our best works in this life, even as believers, are all imperfect and stained with sin. Because even as believers, though we're justified, and we'll come back to this in a couple weeks, which is simultaneously just and sinner. Even though we're justified, we are still unable to bring our lives into perfect conformity with God's law. That's why seven years of no voice and a year and a half to almost two years of laboring to launch this church from a couch to the public does not get God to be a debtor to me. None of my works over the past year and a half in this church has ever come close to being in perfect conformity to God's law. If it was, you would be looking at Jesus and not John Fonnell. I am a sinner just like you. And I need justification just like you. I need grace just like you. And so all that the law can do is shout to us, from Mount Ebel, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, as you're going to see this morning, as we sing in Lockwood song, there's no more curse. There's no more condemnation from the law when you're justified. Even as a believer, when you blow it in your daily life, and you all do, the law no longer hangs its curse and condemnation over you and pronounces guilty we'll come back to that and so before we move to paul's second argument in verse 11 we're going to go back to verse 10 this week because there are two underlying assumptions in verse 10 that paul is making two unstated premises that paul is making about human nature that is absolutely critical for you to understand, for you to be amazed at the glory of justification. So let's look at them this morning. <clears throat> Here's the first assumption or premise. When Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27:26, he is assuming, or he's, under, he's not stating, but he's assuming this premise that man is totally unable to keep the law. Man's total inability. I'm going to teach you something this morning that maybe you've never seen before. Most of you probably don't know Latin. I, I, I know about 0.001%. percent <laughs> not ivory-soap Latin scholar. But let me just teach you something here about Latin, because this is important, and this clearly is going to make sense when we're finished. So just listen... And I'm going to to tell you the point. Augustine came up with a fourfold concept of man. His human nature. And he said before the fall, Adam and Eve possessed the ability to sin or disobey. And they also possessed the ability not to sin or obey. And so, in the garden, in their state of innocence, during their probationary period, the law did not issue a curse against Adam or Eve because God gave them every faculty necessary to keep His law. There was no sin in creation at the beginning. So there was no grace. There was only law. Which there was no conflict in the human heart because there was no sin. So there was no condemnation, no curse. But during his probation period, Adam chose to exercise his ability to sin. And therefore, he plunged the entire human race into utter ruin. So that after the fall, man no longer possessed the ability not to sin. In other words, the man lost his ability to obey the law. And so, in his fallen state, this is man's problem. His problem is that he is unable to keep from sinning. That's where Augustine said that he's like this, non-possi, non-pacare. He has no ability, non-possi, no power, no ability, non-pacare, to stop sinning. Pacare sin. Now, here's the point of that historical theology lesson, which is eminently biblical. This is the point. Because of the fall, man is no longer able to keep the law. He has no power to keep from sinning. He cannot recover himself to God. And so if you were to read Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 26 in a positive fashion, it would read like this, blessed be everyone who abides by all things written in the book of the law and does them. You do everything, you're blessed. Your problem, you're fallen, you can't. So what does the law issue? The law can only, because of the fall, only issue a curse because man in his fallen condition has no more ability to do what God requires him to do. This is what the Bible teaches that man is morally enslaved to his own disobedient and corrupt desires and so Paul's argument presupposes that no one is able to perfectly abide by the law therefore the law only issues a curse you have to understand that that is not as I always say uh, doctorate seminar level theology that is christianity 101 that is called radical depravity. Jesus talked this all over the, the Gospels. Let me just give you an example. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and 17, Jesus stresses the same underlying premise that Paul addresses in Galatians 3.10 by quoting Deuteronomy 27-26. And this is the rich young ruler story. This, this young man... So the bible says was rich and he was young and he was a ruler so the rich young ruler he came to jesus and he says in matthew 19 verse 16 teacher what good deed work performance obedience what good deed must i do must i do to have eternal life. Now remember, God is a just judge. Cannot grant eternal life except to those who have a perfect righteousness. And so Listen to what Jesus says in verse 17. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now notice in verse 17, Jesus does not reply to this young man, believe and you shall be saved. Jesus answers this young man's question according to the law because the young man's question was about law not the gospel. And Jesus tells this young man, "You want to talk law? You want eternal life, okay? This is my law. <laughs> I made the rules. Let me tell you. You want a blessed life? Do you want me to grant you eternal life? Then listen." Do everything perfectly that I have commanded. You'll enter, you'll enter into life. And what the Bible said? He went away sorrowful, because he was full of riches. Jesus quoted the 10th commandment to him. The spiritual application of the 10th commandment exposed the covetousness in his heart. And he said, you don't love God perfectly because you love your money. So you're not only guilty of the 10th commandment, you're guilty of the first one. In fact, James too says if you break one, you're guilty of the whole thing. And so the purpose of Christ's response was to beat down the pride of this young man's heart. Jesus was preaching the law to him. And He was seeking to get this young man to see the impossibility of keeping the law perfectly. And thus expose his utter need for a Savior. And so Jesus taught that man is incapable of obtaining a blessed life in any fashion by anything that you do. Let me give you a couple of examples. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. Paul says this He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's the inability. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Man in his fallen state, Paul says, is unable to obey God's law, listen, precisely because he no longer desires to do it. He doesn't desire it. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 23, or Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. Jeremiah asks this rhetorical question that assumes a negative answer. He says, he asks this: he says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can the leopard say to itself, I don't like spots, spots go away? He says, Neither can you do good who are accustomed to do evil, to doing evil. Jeremiah's question just simply drives home the point that there is nothing that man can do to change his sinful nature. He does not possess the ability. Listen to Solomon in Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can, who can say that? This is what Philip Ryken says. He says, the law is a matter of performance, but a performance that is beyond human possibility. You're not able. Paul says you're not able. You cannot do this. The purpose of the law is not to make us good people so that God is in debt to us so that we are deserving of His blessing. The purpose of the law shows us that we are bad people who are in debt to God massively. And only deserving of His cursing. And so, what Paul is saying is that the law shows us that every faculty of our entire being, every faculty is radically depraved. That's what he says, for example, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. Paul, again in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18, goes back to the Old Testament and he quotes Old Testament's passage after Old Testament passage to to show you that every part of your being is completely and radically depraved. And so, for example, in verses 10 to 18 of Romans 3, he he quotes about the throat where you speak, which is a reflection of the heart because Jesus said what? Out of the abundance of the heart, what speaks? The mouth speaks. So if you want to know what is in a person's heart, it is revealed through their speech. That's why when Isaiah saw the holiness of God in Isaiah 6, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Why would he confess he's a man of unclean lips if he's a prophet speaking for God? Because he says, it is a window into my soul when I'm exposed before a perfectly holy, righteous God, and I'm unclean. And so Paul says our throat, our tongues, our lips, our mouth, our feet, our eyes. He quotes all those body parts of Romans 3, 10 to 18. What he's saying is this, is that sin is all pervasive.
0: Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called, What Do I Need to Be Saved From? Part 1. More from the series is coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clearer understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at com, I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.